to the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday, April the 14th. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're hanging in there. Hope those that you love are doing well. We're all trying to get through this together. I appreciate you uh, tuning in. It is Daniel Wartman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. early morning wake-up call out west and all time zones in between and around the world. Welcome into the show. Uh, coming up here in just a second, we're going to uh, have Cardick Krishner joining us, a friend of the show, um, to go through some topics. One of the big things that I want to get to him with today is uh, this idea of uh you know, making a lemonade out of lemons, uh, this idea of moving our professional calendars to get them properly aligned for all sorts of reasons, uh, with a fall to spring calendar. There are so many reasons to do it and I can't find a single reason not to do it. And so, uh, I'm, we're going to get into that here in just a minute, but before we do, uh, just want to say welcome into the show. Thanks for tuning in as always. We appreciate it. And our sponsor, this half hour is Ductic Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Uh, go there today. Use promo code DW Show. You'll get 10% off of your order at ducticbrand.com d-u-k-t-i-g brand.com use promo code dw show you get 10 percent off of your order and you're going what are you ordering what am i getting well you're going to get some you're going to get a really cool notebook a journal uh apparel there's all kinds of stuff there for you to check out if you're if you're into the game if you coach uh this is the this is the site for you you need to go there and check them out at ducticbrand.com we'll be right back with cardic Krishner right after this
Welcome back into the show this morning. I really appreciate you tuning in each and every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. And this morning we are joined by Kardik Krishner, a friend of the show. Kardik, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well, Daniel, as well as anyone can do in this uh, COVID-19 time. I hope you and your family are doing well as well. We are, man. We are, we're hanging in there and, uh, you know, trying to... Uh, obviously listen to local and, and national, uh, officials about, you know, how to, how to do, uh, day-to-day life. Uh, and we're trying to, to keep up with that as, as best as possible so far. So good. So, um, we're, we're okay. Uh, you know, a lot of family time, a lot of family walks and family bike rides and, um, and then the rest of the time just here at the house, uh, staying away from everybody. Um, but, um, you know, we're we're pretty much uh, isolated, I guess is the is the best way to to say it, uh, which is which is weird. It's a weird weird world we are living in at the moment. So, but we're yeah. good. Your family good? Yes, we are. I, I appreciate it. Uh, we're we're hanging in there. I mean, uh, I I know a few people, um, family not excuse me not family, but a few friends who contracted the virus. Um, no fatality thankfully you know it's running its course with people but our family's been unaffected yeah same here i have got a, uh, a few friends that um that uh, that have family members that that have been affected and um so you know it's it's definitely um something that uh you know is, is we we can't just I, I I wish it was over, right? I mean, like I wish yeah. the whole thing, but at the same time, we I understand what these families are going through and and what the world's going through, and we're just all having to be patient. So, um, you know, we'll hopefully we'll get through this sooner rather than later, and and we'll be okay. But uh, it, it's definitely something that uh, is serious, and and I hope people are are definitely listening and taking. Uh, you know, heed of the warnings so that we can, uh, you know, find a cure, find a path forward and, and hopefully get on to, to getting back to life as normal as quick as possible. Even though right now we don't know what that might look like, when that might be, et cetera. So, um, and, and those realities really are facing, um, you know, all of sports, not just soccer, but all of sports around the world. Uh, everything about life is at a standstill at the moment, uh, as you know, as the audience knows. One of the things that's being affected right now and, and the conversations are, are intense about uh, is the American soccer schedule when we're, when we're talking about professional soccer. Um, we already... Uh, in my view, uh, do it wrong by playing spring to fall. And, uh, and, and so the USL championship, uh, they had their opening weekend and then everything got shut down. Major league soccer, I think had, had two weekends maybe, uh, and, and then everything got shut down. And so, you know, all of these professional teams, these leagues, uh, have been, you know, sitting here trying to number one, figure out, uh, when they can get back together and get going. Uh, and number two, um, you know, trying to figure out alternatives. What can we do, um, based on when we can get back? And so, you know, from what I'm hearing, and I'm curious to what you're hearing and seeing, um, from what I'm hearing is they're kind of looking at different scenarios based on different restart 
dates or restart windows, right? So yeah. if they could get together and get going again, let's say in, in May or June, then they're looking at one reality. If it pushes later and later towards August or September, that's a whole different reality. What are you hearing before we kind of get into, you know, some of the, the, well, what I think is a really big opportunity uh, in, in terms of, uh, of, of what some uh, might consider a radical change in the fall to spring calendar. Um, what are you hearing in terms of these windows and, and, and plans uh, based on, you know, say a May, June versus a July, August? Yeah, I think we're realistically looking at a July, August now, uh, which is uh, and, and I have to give, and I'm not always uh, the most uh, uh, praiseworthy person towards MLS or, or, or USL, but I have to give both those leagues credit in, in how they're handling this in terms of scheduling and putting fan and player safety uh, ahead of uh, maybe where some of the leagues in Europe did. I mean, I, I think it was uh, now looking back that they played this second leg between uh, of the Champions League between Valencia and Atalanta a club from Italy, uh, which was already a hot spot, traveling to Spain, which was becoming a hot spot at the time. Yes, they played in front of closed doors, but there were staff, there was players, there were coaches, and uh, a number of Valencia players tested positive within days of the game for uh, coronavirus. So uh, I think we've been more responsible with, with the soccer leagues in this country than they were in Europe. And, and obviously uh, the Premier League and Bundesliga, as we speak, are or contemplating an earlier restart. I, I'm hearing it'll be more likely um, July, August. Now, um, if that's the case, we can already begin to think about scenarios for how you actually complete this season. And for USL clubs, that MLS, I think, can probably get away with having a shortened season. They probably shouldn't, but they can get away with one. I think for USL clubs, Dan, it's really imperative they get a full slate of home matches in. Those clubs are almost entirely dependent on match day revenue, whether it's uh, whether it's ticket sales or concessions or parking uh, in the places they control concessions and parking, uh, merchandise sales at games, etc. I think it'll be very difficult for that league, uh, for, for a lot of their teams, uh, to keep the lights on, honestly, if they don't complete a full season, which I think uh, then means we have to start talking about scenarios calendar scenarios in which maybe they flip their calendar. I, I think certainly MLS uh, could as well. I just uh, I just wonder if MLS feels like they can have an abbreviated season and uh, just kind of uh, reboot and re, 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 uh, reconfigure uh, on their normal calendar or what they consider their normal calendar next year. Now, uh, you and I have talked for years, uh, and some others like uh, the great Eric Winalda have talked for years about the need uh, for us to, sh uh, to flip our calendar. Uh, and this is an opportunity to do that. I, I, I want to, before we get too deep into that, just remind people that um, in the areas of the country where you and I live, it is, it is oppressively hot during the summer. And so while your teams play through the summer in the summer, whether it's in summer adult amateur leagues or whether it's in professional leagues like MLS and USL and, and now NISA, you're not training at the same level you would if you were playing on the European calendar. Uh, so there's a, there is a player development uh, angle of this too that I, I want to cover. It's not just all about business and, and, and even aligning the transfer windows. There is actually, I think, a, a, 
uh, detrimental player development development situation where also, quite frankly, having worked for a number of clubs in the lower divisions uh, and having worked for a league, tra- training is oftentimes just scrubbed because of heat or because of thunderstorms in the southeast. And, and uh, you can uh, speak to like uh, uh, folks who've worked for the Charleston Battery that they've gone whole weeks without training because of the because of the weather. Uh, and they had to turn up and play a, a match. Um, and they're not the only club. Tampa Bay, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Carolina Railhawks, a n- number of clubs in the Southeast. This has happened to through the years. So um, I, I was just mentioning Charleston because I've had the conversation with a former player there about that. So I, I think this is an opportunity potentially. Yeah. So uh, picking up uh, before we get into the schedule and the practicalities of the schedule and some of the, the motivating factors uh, going into this idea of fall to spring, there, there's there are so many reasons why to do this. Uh, and I want to get there and I want to go through it. But one thing you mentioned that before we do um, is is the realities of the American soccer system because uh, Major League Soccer has intentionally undercapitalized the market. Uh, they, they have intentionally suppressed investment in the game um, by by the way that they have gone about operating their business for 25 years. Having first division status and the ability to have this kind of quasi-relationship with the Federation and part of their business model being suppressing player wages, suppressing budgets, etc. to control costs. I'm not getting into that argument of whether that's a good idea, bad idea, whatever. I'm just saying that's a reality, okay, uh, for the audience. That has happened. It continues to happen. It is one of the core pieces of the Major League Soccer business model. Uh, Until that reality changes, one of the byproducts, the side effects of that on the entire ecosystem is that the primary source of revenue for most clubs, not just professional, including amateur, is game day revenue. That's gate, that's tickets, um, that is, you know, sponsors that are, that are dealing with game day uh, events or, or game, you know, matches, parking, concessions, merchandise, etc. All of that is 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 predicated on I'm going to be able to to get to the black or stay in the black as long as I can host matches. If I can't host matches or if I can't get butts and seats, if I have to play with empty stadiums uh, because of the coronavirus, then most of these clubs uh, have, uh, unless their owners are willing to just bankroll them, most of these clubs have no chance of, of surviving uh, in playing professional soccer because all of their budgets are predicated on match day revenue. Um, and, and so that's, that's one key point that you brought up that I just don't think a lot of people understand in comparison to a Bundesliga club or a Serie A club or a La Liga, Premier League, etc. The, the TV money is so big and the commercial revenue is so large in these European markets, they can afford to play behind closed doors. Are they still going to take a financial hit? Absolutely. But they've got revenue coming in that is far beyond anything that Major League Soccer could ever dream about at this point. And the USL and NISA have have nothing 
uh, in that in that department. And so, um, you know, the realities of of playing matches, home matches with with spectators, with fans in the stadiums, is paramount for these leagues' survival. And and it's paramount, I think, for Major League Soccer too. I don't think they can. I don't think they can run, um, you know, with with closed door, uh, you know. MLS matches for for too long without it starting to make a significant financial impact on them as well, but they are a little less dependent on that. But but USL and NISA are in trouble if they can't uh, produce their their match day revenues. Um, and and so looking at the realities of the schedule, which is where I, where I want to get to, and and you you've referenced it as well. If we're looking at July August. And, you know, I just want to go through why this is a good idea for fall to spring and the realities, because there's some people up north who think there's no way this thing can happen uh, fall to spring that, that, you know, you guys are in the south. You don't understand. I'm going to tell you right now, players will tell you they would much rather play in 30 degree weather than in 100 degree weather. The health risks, the health and safety risks are severely much higher, much more severe for player health and safety at that 90, 100-degree weather compared to 30-degree weather. You can always throw in layers and get yourself warmed up. It is very hard to cool keep yourself cooled down in, in really hot and especially humid temperatures. So that's one, that, that's one aspect uh, of this, and I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think when we talk about this on a macro, and we're going to get into some of the specifics here in just a second about the practicalities of a fall to spring calendar but that point that you brought up about fall to spring and player health and safety in the hot weather is so huge and i get some fans are up north are like well you know i don't want to sit out in the cold for 30 degree weather well you know what you're you're not going to get near as many people coming in the summer in the south at 100 degree weather. we already see it right now these people are not going to go and bake in 100 110 degree weather uh in, in dallas texas in the middle of the summer it's not happening yeah uh, this is this is something that really uh i i can't understand why the uh apologists and most of them are, are, are the, your usual suspects that are very uh attached to major league soccer uh, emotionally or for, for financial reasons. In a lot of cases, it's just people who seem to be attached emotionally and very myopic and just defend anything the league does. Cannot get their head around that more people, This has, and this, has, this is not a soccer statistic, this is a life statistic. More people in this country die every year of extreme heat and heat exhaustion and, and heat stroke and things like that than die in all the winter storms in this country. Okay, it's much more dangerous, as you said. If we're talking specifically about player safety, it's dangerous because of the heat, and it's exceedingly dangerous everywhere from Washington D.C., Baltimore area south, uh, and all the way west to, uh, to to New Mexico because of thunderstorms in the summer. Um, try, try. I, they're, they're in an indoor stadium, right? Uh, Atlanta. Try having a team play outdoors in Atlanta during the summer. Well, we did have one, the Silverbacks, and we had tons of postponements, tons of delays. Um, and we had so many weather delays. In fact, there was one season I tracked uh, when I was looking for NASL, Fort Lauderdale, their first 14 games, seven or, seven or eight of them had been affected by weather. Tampa Bay, like of their first 14 games, like five had been affected by weather. By affected, I mean postponed. 
right? They didn't kick off when they were supposed to kick off, or they did kick off and then there was a, uh, they had to uh, uh, suspend. Okay, this isn't the game that kicked off at 7.30 and ended at 9.30. Uh, Carolina Railhawks in the Raleigh-Durham area, same, same thing. Uh, I mentioned Charleston earlier. So this is a real issue. And uh, yeah, I, I get people don't like, uh, don't like uh, sitting and being spectators in the cold. But I think players who naturally their body heats up, and we see the sort of um, extreme winter weather, maybe not extreme winter weather, it gets colder in this country than it does in, in England, but um, the kind of weather they play through in the Premier League, the kind of weather, uh, the Bundesliga has a long winter break, um, the kind of weather that they're able to schedule around in Germany, right? The kind of weather they're able to schedule around in Italy, where they also have a winter break, a shorter one, but they have a winter break in Serie A because the, the northern part of the country where uh, Milan and Juventus and some of the more decorated clubs are, Inter, uh, gets quite cold. They're, they're at elevation, and they get quite cold in the winter. So uh, it, this, it, this isn't a difficult thing. I, I, this is the thing. I think there's been a lot of deception and a lot of dishonesty among those who support Major League Soccer's position on this, and then the other U.S. leagues have all fallen in line. Uh, in the case of NISA, they... Uh, they, they have uh, uh, stated that they want to uh, um, be on the uh, on the European calendar. Now, of course, they've had a little bit of a clunky rollout um, and, and teams coming and going. But I think ultimately that's their goal. They get it at that league. Uh, USL uh, might be forced into this. I think you, you hit it on uh, the nail on the head. USL and NISA have no choice. They've got to get full season fit. Um, or they have to abort the season completely so that th- that money is not spent. But I, I think right now, in the case of USL, because they started their season, well, Nisa did too. I think they, they have to finish it because um, players are under contract to staff unless they furlough the whole staff. Um, I think in, in the case of a lot of these clubs, they're, they're really just on the edge. Um, and you're right about MLS. MLS does not have the sort of revenues that um, – the Bundesliga or La Liga or the Premier League have. So you're in a situation where, no, the league won't collapse or teams may not collapse if they don't uh, get all their matches in this season, but they'll be uh, behind the eight ball, so to speak, in the future. So they're, they are more dependent on match day revenues than uh, the first divisions in Europe. So they're going to need to try and get, um, obviously, in MLS, each team has 17 home games. I think they're going to need to try and get as many of those in as possible, maybe 15 per team. Uh, and then uh, in USL, they're going to need to get about 15 per team in also. So, th- so that's 30 games per team at, at a minimum. Um, you're going to have to realign the calendar to do that because we're not, we're not going to be playing soccer in May. Um, I'm almost sure we're not going to be playing soccer in June. July, maybe. Um, maybe that's realistic. Um, August. I, I, look, here's the other thing. There, there's all these excuses uh, related to American football. and They... they they always uh, make that excuse, and that is just an excuse, as, as you said at the outset, because you're going to come up against them one way or another. And actually, if you realign your calendar, your playoffs are going up against the NHL playoffs, the start of baseball, uh, some, some major golf tournaments, right? The PGA Championships now in May, the NBA playoffs, but you're not going up against football. Now, they've got the business under their season. I mean, I, I'll never forget the night that uh, the MLS Cup, David Beckham's final match in Major League Soccer was played at the very same time as the SEC championship game. Now, in the parts of the country you and I live in, Daniel, you, there's only one thing that people are watching that night. 
right? And it wasn't the MLS Cup. So this idea that if we realign the calendar, football is going to affect us, it already does affect us. Um, but I, I think realistically you're going up against less uh, lesser opposition. And let's face it, we can't plan based on other sports because we don't know when what's going to happen with the other sports and their calendars now. Right. Um, I mean, I, I do not think... I don't know. I, I don't really follow the NFL, so I don't know what's going on there. But I do follow college football, and I do have some contacts uh, in athletic departments uh, here in the southeast. And they all tell me, don't expect college football to kick off the last week of August to the first week of September. That then it's just not realistically going to happen. And that kind of shocked me, honestly, because I'm thinking from our soccer perspective, okay, by the time we get to August, September, we'll be fine. We just have to figure out how we recalibrate our season. They're thinking because they didn't have spring football, which is which would be going on right now, right? Or just finishing, usually finishes around Easter. Right. That that's out the window. So that means they need that much more practice time for their players, and they're not going to start practicing on time. Um, that basically the, the college football season will be delayed in some fashion. So once I was hearing that, I was thinking, my goodness, um, if people who are MLS apologists are now still planning and saying we can't do such and such because of football. They really don't have an excuse anymore because football may not even be on the same calendar, at least for um, a year, maybe two. Who knows? I mean, once once you play at a different time of the year, because I think the thing that we've always always seen when there have been uh, work stoppages in, in these sports and in, in the NHL and um, baseball in, in uh, basketball, the NBA had a strike a few years ago that day that they always finish the season at the same time, right? Or, or, or um, in the case of one baseball season 25 years ago, more than 25 years ago, they didn't finish the season at all. But um, in the other seasons, they finish on time. They just you missed, you missed the beginning of the season. This is the first time I think we're going to see seasons of, of American sports that don't finish on time. There's no way the NBA season's finishing on time. I mean, it's, just, it's physically impossible at this time. At this point, so um, there's no way the NHL season's finishing on time. We know um, the PGA Tour is already the the Open Championship, uh, which was going to be at Royal St. George's this year, has been canceled. We know that uh, the Masters is planning on playing in November. So um, a U.S. Open is apparently going to play in September or October. Uh, things are going to change. So if you're then saying, well, we can't re re um, calibrate our calendar because of uh, football or golf or whatever the competing interest is then you just know they're full of it when they say that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when you when you look at the realities of, of being a sport like soccer, a, a global sport, but in a market like the American market where the NFL is, in, in American football, is the, the number one financial, um, you know, TV ratings bonanza sport on American television, the NFL, American football with college football uh, and everything else, you know, it, it, trail every other sport trails American football. Um, the idea that you're going to uh, an MLS apologist saying this, I just laugh when they say, well, you, you, you can't, you can't go up against, you know, the NFL and, and, and college football. I'm like, what are you talking about? You, all of your playoffs and your your signature final right now is is going head to head with the NFL and college football. 
And and when you get into the weather side of the conversation and you look at the calendars of American football that generally start August, September and run into uh, January and, and the Super Bowl usually right now finishing up that first Sunday in February and then look at you know American soccer, professional soccer and the typical calendar that you look at for Major League Soccer, for example. Right now, they're getting together in January and February for their their preseason camps. Um, so they're back in their activities in January, February. They're kicking off into February, you know, beginning of March, uh, their season right now. They're running their season right through, as we've already talked about, the, the worst possible weather uh, uh, situation for fans and for player safety, and that is these uh, the, these these uh, really really hot humid situations uh, of ninety to one hundred degrees plus in June, July, uh, and in 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 August. They're running through that, and then they go right into the heart of American football in the fall to to start their playoffs in you know September, October, and then finish their playoffs in November. It used to run into December, so this idea that Major League Soccer could not start their season sometime in August and take a winter break just like the Bundesliga, and then finish up in May like the rest of the world. Um, or, or if let's say their signature final is the first weekend of June or whatever, right. It, to accommodate the winter break, if there was some accommodation like that, this idea that it's undoable, um, uh, is, is, is just crazy. I mean, you could easily take into account, uh, some of the, the winter weather situations. Um, if there are teams in the North that, you know, February is a bad month for them to play. You can schedule them for the dome games or for Southern games, you know, go, go play in Miami, go play in Atlanta, uh, go play in Nashville, go play in Dallas. Uh, could it be cold in some of those cities? Yes. But are, are you as likely to get a, you know, a 14 foot blizzard in, in an outdoor stadium in, you know, New England or in Dallas, you're probably going to get hit in, in New England. So, so have the revolution go play in Dallas in February. I I mean, this idea that you can't do some intelligent scheduling um, and and work around some of those logistics, that is that those are just weak excuses. And then the idea of, of American football and stadiums and sharing stadiums, that's already happening. The New England Revolution in the fall and into their into their their playoffs, uh, NYCFC playing in Yankee Stadium and the baseball players are going on. They're they're already dealing with having to shuffle around matches and games, whatever, based on on baseball or based on American football because they've chosen to play in non-soccer specific stadiums for those two teams anyway. So, so this idea that that you know playing starting your season in August September and dealing with that through the fall is somehow would be new. That that again is laughable. I, I just I I think there is not a single valid reason other than those who are in charge don't want uh, the sport to operate fall to spring because there's not a valid reason from an economic standpoint, uh, the the transfer window standpoint, a player health and safety standpoint, um, you know, 
people think that that playing through the summer is a great idea. I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of people in the summers, generally, maybe not this year, but generally, that's vacation. They're not they're not planning their whole season, their summer around coming to your matches. They're going to the beach. They're going on a vacation. They're going to Disney World. The, it's much more likely that you're going to get them to come to a Friday night or a Saturday or Sunday game in the fall, winter, and spring than you're going to get them to to do that uh, in the summertime. I, I just I cannot find a single valid reason. Maybe you've got one that that you've heard that makes sense, but I can't think of one for for staying on a spring to fall, especially. Knowing what we know about the gate revenue, the commercial revenue, the the lack of TV money, the realities of coronavirus, why we wouldn't just be going, hey, let's be proactive, go big, and 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 realign the schedule and use this as an opportunity for revolution. I, I just I don't understand it. No, I don't get it either, Daniel. I, I think that we're at a point now that because of the the, the need to get this season in, we might so slowly hear those arguments fade away. Or uh, you might just have the MLS fanboy, for lack of a better term, double and triple and, and quadruple down on them and say, we can't play. It's too cold. I don't know why they can't even adopt the calendar. They're so in such close uh, 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 financial and uh, um, really kind of almost cartel-like uh, alliance with the Mexican uh, Federation and the Mexican League, the Liga MX, uh, through Soccer United Marketing. I don't know why they can't just mimic the calendar from Mexico, uh, which... It involves a winter break. They're done. Now, this year, because of Monterey playing in the Club World Cup and the way it worked out, their final wasn't until uh, the 26th of December. But generally, it's like December 8th. They break. Uh, it's around the same time as MLS Cup used to be. They break. They uh, come back in, in late January. Um, I think you might need a bigger, a longer break, obviously, uh, from MLS. I would say from maybe the last week of November through um, early February. But then you, you effectively you put um, Miami at home. Tam- uh, I said Tampa, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> Orlando at home. Atlanta at home. Uh, uh, National at home. Uh, Dallas, Houston, uh, the L.A. teams. And, and, uh, and then you bring, you bring everybody to, well, San Jose, Seattle can play at home. And, uh, Seattle, Seattle has an odd player. Right? It doesn't really, it's like, kind of like England. It doesn't get too cold there. It never gets that warm either. Seattle, Portland can probably play at home also, honestly. Uh, they both those teams also have turf, so that may make it easier. And then Minnesota can be away from home. New England can be away from home. The New York teams can be away from home. Philly, uh, uh, DC, DC United. Uh, it, it gets kind of cold in, in, in Washington, but realistically, you could play there uh, in the winter. And actually, Washington is a pretty dangerous place to play in the summer. You want to talk about a place that's that's boiling hot, where the level of play is pretty low during the summer. Uh, maybe Audi Field's a little different. It's on the Anacostia. There's maybe maybe some more natural wind and stuff. But RFK, that place was baking and and dangerous during the summer to play. But uh, bonafide dangerous place. And if you haven't spent any time in Washington D.C. in July or August, I suggest you don't. It is it is absolutely even. And I'm someone who's from Florida. It is absolutely the hottest place I've been outside of India where my parents are from, you know, where I've gone back a lot during the summer. Washington, D.C., um, I lived there once upon a time. Washington, D.C. is so hot in the summer. So we're playing in dangerous conditions as it is, is my point. Uh, D.C. United plays in dangerous conditions. Uh, there's uh, all kinds of lightning storms in Dallas and Houston during the summer. 
So I, I, I don't understand why we continue to have um, the, the, this argument. And I think the other thing um, for me on this is that this will give um, American soccer the opportunity to kind of marry itself with the European transfer windows and, and, and kind of see where that goes. And, and a lot of us have theories about it, that it'll be really good and beneficial. It'll create a player market uh, for American players that doesn't exist now. Um, we could be wrong about that, right? And I mean, I, I concede I could be wrong about that, but we don't really know. And my theory is, and I know you share this and folks like Eric Winaldo do also, uh, that it will only improve our guys to be to have our transfer windows aligned and have our guys start their season and end their season at the same time as the big clubs in Europe, making transfers more attractive. Um, and also, there have been just a number of guys that have been MLS players that um, have gone to, have either not ended up getting the transfer they wanted in, in, in a winter window. Uh, Aaron Long most recently, but I think even a, a likes of George John, going back a little bit, Taylor Twelman um, and uh, Charlie Joseph, because our season, our windows in the line and was uh, the middle of the season in Europe. The teams that had been interested in, in them over the summer um, weren't interested or as interested, weren't going to pay as much in January. Uh, Eddie Johnson, actually, the first couple times before he went to Fulham, when Sporting Lisbon and Benfica weren't interested in him, uh, he wasn't able to go, and they weren't able to, to make the deal because um, our, it was the middle of the season for Kansas City. Um, and then also, the guys who have gone, um, like um, like Brett Shea, like uh, a number of others I, I, I'm blanking out on now, that have gone into winter window and that have uh, bombed out. Actually, when Eddie Johnson did go to Fulham, that's what happened when he finally went. It was in the winter window because uh, uh, the the MLS had previously rejected any deals for him in, in summer windows, and finally he said, "I'm not going to resign with the league." And so they sold him right before his contract expired. A um, couple of years passed the sell by date, and it didn't work out. But there've been a number of uh, situations like that where our guys have gone over in the middle of the season to a big club. In the case of Brett Shea, it was to Stoke in the Premier League, who was. Uh, I know they've been relegated now, but they were uh, the, the time when he got there. I think they finished the year he got there. They finished ninth in the league, so they were pretty good. And um, there was no way he was going to break into that team. And we've seen his career go downhill since. So uh, there are a number of examples like that where we we've actually lost players. I think that were decent and they didn't get to move when they could move. Um, and when they finally moved, um, uh, it, it was the wrong timing because our calendars were misaligned. So there's a lot of historical examples of, of guys that I think got screwed. And ultimately that screwed the national team was uh, uh, losing, losing those guys. I mean, it was, uh, there was actually that era when Jurgen Klinsmann was uh, playing Brett Shea at left back. And, and uh, when he went to Stoke and he just bombed out, he came back to Orlando when they uh, moved to MLS and he wasn't the same player. I remember watching the first few games, like this guy has none of the confidence, none of the, the, the swagger he had with the national team uh, or with uh, FC Dallas in his first stint in MLS. I mean, he's broken. And it was because he went in, he went in a window because MLS won several guys in, in summer, right? So he went in the January window when that team was already set at that point and he couldn't break in. Um, so it happened to Juan Agudelo too. That's another player. He, he also went uh, in that window and he, you know, kind of bombed out back in MLS now. So, um, I, I just think the transfer window thing, I could be wrong about it, but I, I'm almost positive that 
it, there'll be some improvement. Well, uh, I, th- if we our windows. I, I, I agree with your assessment on the, the exportation of players, but I, th- I also look at it from an importation of players. I think if, if, if we ever get to a place and I know that there are clubs in this country, there are owners in this country, there, there are, you know, franchises in this country in major league soccer, you know, standpoints, um, who have designs, ambitions, um, to import players and, um, you know, in, 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 and they really want to invest in their teams. Um, aligning the windows also gives us a better chance to, to do the importation of players, just like we're talking about with the exportation of American players, getting them over to Europe. There's also opportunities, I think, to better align these windows to, to bring in talent, uh, into the country, uh, and, and raise the quality level there as well. And, and again, back to my point before we move on. You know, when you look at Major League Soccer historically in their operations, they have operated in all 12 months um, in some form or fashion, whether it's been preseason uh, in the January, February uh, area and, or kicking off their league in late, Feb- late February, early March, uh, finishing up their seasons in November, December. So the idea that they couldn't, you know, kick off a season in August, September and then finish uh, up their season in, you know, sometime in, in late May. Uh, again, looking at the historical aspects of where MLS has operated uh, and, and also knowing what could be done from a scheduling standpoint, from, from logistics, weather, etc., there, there's just no really good reason to keep it where it is. I don't know why. It, you know, if you're if you're a television executive and you're looking at your next big deal, uh, if I'm Major League Soccer, I'm looking at my next big deal and I'm going to a TV executive and I'm going, look, our signature final, we want it to be in late May versus we wanted to go up against college football in the NFL in 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 November or December. The TV execs are going to pick option A every time. They're going to say, give us the schedule where you guys play your signature finals in May, not at going up against the NFL and college football. We don't want any part of that. Um, and so I think you could see much more TV revenue come in just by the realignment of the schedule, um, you know, from major league soccer standpoint. Uh, and maybe that eventually could, could, could also help the USL as well uh, to, to do that uh, also. Um, and, and, and another aspect of, of American soccer that is, you know, um, we're having to deal with at the moment is the reality of the U.S. Uh, Open Cup. And there's a, a real possibility that this continual, continuously running tournament uh, is, is going to be canceled. And, um, you know, looking at it, I would hate to see that happen. The leagues are dealing with these realities, which, like we just talked about, I think could be dealt with by getting their calendar properly aligned fall to spring. 
But one of the other things I think that could be really fun would be a, a uh, one-time-only special format uh, to get the U.S. Open Cup in and keep the tournament continuously running without taking a break. Uh, get it in by bringing in these champions from NISA, USL League 2, League 1, USL Championship, uh, MLS, the, the, the past uh, U.S. Open Cup uh, champion, maybe the Supporter Shield uh, winner, etc. I think you could you could seed this in kind of a smaller format tournament uh, with a few amateur teams and some some professional teams and 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 get some version of you know a special version of a U.S. Open Cup completed for 2020 at some point. Uh, and I would love to see something like that happen. I, I wonder what your thoughts are on the U.S. Open Cup in general uh, and 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 this idea of keeping it running and and the idea of maybe a special format this year. Yeah, I think. I, I think in reality, we probably uh, are not going to get the tournament in this year. So we could do one of two things. Your suggestion is, is quite good, and that might be something that allows those clubs to get some extra revenue. Um, the other thing we could do is have an amateur tournament or tournament for adult amateur teams. Because I think um, my concern for the Open Cup this year is that it's going to be really cost prohibitive for USL and NISA teams in particular. Um, midweek games without much lead-in uh, uh, in rented facilities, they already are kind of a, a loss leader. Uh, there's there's a certain uh, romanticism around the cup, uh, but there's a practical financial reality also. And, and that goes back to U.S. soccer not incentivizing the cup by putting really no prize money into it and minimal promotion. Although the promotion's gotten better the last few years, I'll concede that. But uh, I think we could either have a tournament with amateur teams entirely and, and uh, award a, a U.S. Open Cup winner uh, that way, or we could we could follow your suggestion, and then it's just the kind of the cream of the crop among uh, professional teams, and then you do get a couple of NPSL and, and uh, uh, UPSL and, and, and PDL teams in there, uh, maybe a couple of teams from uh, other independent teams from from smaller regional leagues, and, and maybe you play it off over, maybe you play it off over like two weeks and just get it done with. Um, I, I'd like to see the tournament keep that record going of being played every year since 1913 or 1914, if, uh, if, if it's possible. And um, I think those are the two options, the option you outlined and uh, this other option, which is just to make it a, a tournament for amateur teams, amateur teams, many of whom whose season would have been scrubbed completely anyway. So this gives them something and it won't be as cost prohibitive as a, uh, like if, if I'm an ESA team, um, like if I'm Chattanooga, we know Chat. We are we know Chattanooga's already uh, withdrawn from the Open Cup one year because of costs. Um, if I'm Chattanooga or Detroit, um, and I'm not really going to get the opportunity to play um, NFC Cincinnati or Atlanta United, I, I think it's really cost prohibitive. It's cost prohibitive for Chattanooga to play a game in the Open Cup this year. They got to get uh, some NISA games in, get some revenue in from those games. So. Um, that's where I am on it. I mean, I'd like to see it continue. I think it's, it's, it's going to be difficult, but um, maybe we can play off just a small tournament somehow. And, and, and I said, if we have a tournament among amateur teams, let's just uh, limit it to the amateur teams that qualified for the first round proper, right? And, and, and maybe play off among them. Let's not open it back up um, just so we can get the tournament in the books. 
Yeah, I, I would. I want to see the tournament in the book somehow, some way, and I and I do want to say that this idea about uh, you know this kind of U.S. Open Cup uh, special one-time tournament of champions uh, format that would include UPSL and and uh, USL League Two and the NPSL, etc. That was that. It's not my idea. It's one I saw uh, from uh, the Open Cup US at, at the Open Cup US on uh, Twitter. Uh, so just I wanted to give them credit. That was not my idea but i love it i love the idea i think uh it's a it's a creative solution we need more of those types of creative solutions uh in in dealing with the realities uh of where we are in american soccer despite COVID 19 now with COVID 19 we especially need creative solutions uh to overcome some of the challenges and some of these quite frankly challenges have have uh occurred uh because they're self-inflicted wounds we, you know, if we were not operating on a spring to fall, we would have already had a big chunk of seasons just like Europe already in the books. We would be waiting to finish out, you know, the last eight weeks or so of a season, 10, 10 weeks of a season, not wondering if we could ever get a season off the ground. Um, and, and I understand that that just happens to be the timing of how this coronavirus pandemic, uh, you know, spread in the timeline, etc. But uh, if we were in line with the rest of the world, I do think um, that we would have been better off, uh, even if it had hit at some other time, because we would be dealing with the same realities. Now we're trying to figure out how do we start? How do we finish? And these other leagues are having to f- figure out the same thing. And now the, this idea of transfer windows could be completely thrown off, uh, beyond what they are right now, which is not, not really the best, uh, format, uh, as you've mentioned, where these European leagues are not necessarily wanting to go big and heavy, uh, into the transfer market in January compared to June and July into August. Um, and so, you know, you've got three months of a MLS season taking place in June, July, and August, while these teams are wanting to do their business and MLS not wanting to release their players. And then, then, the other way around trying to get players in and then uh, you know it's just a mess and so i i just i I really want to see that that happen uh with the open cup and i really want to see the fall to spring with our professional leagues i want to close uh with you with a little bit of rapid fire COVID 19 rapid fire uh some topics uh specifically related to COVID 19 and get your thoughts on it first thought is uh there's been an idea floated around a little bit uh on social media um, uh, this idea of U.S. soccer, either through their own funds or, um, you know, working on behalf of their clubs with the U.S. government to try to create some type of relief package, um, stimulus package, bailout, whatever word you want to use for, um, you know, professional as well as some uh, amateur clubs uh, within uh, the U.S. soccer ecosystem. Wanted to get your thoughts thoughts on that yeah i'm all for it i'm a big advocate of it i think that this is the uh the best way the surplus can be used by u.s soccer to promote and protect clubs that might otherwise go out of business or uh, have a very hard time making it through 2020 what we're seeing in germany is an effort from the top clubs in the bundesliga to support uh the clubs that they think may not make it and in fact uh, there's someone who told me on background um after COVID-19 started that he's fearful that there could be 
15, 20 club failures in Germany uh, because of because of this. Uh, similarly, in England, there is a lot of pressure on the Premier League and the FA to, to send more money down the pyramid and support um, the, the lo- lower division clubs. They have already sent some money down. There's pressure, growing pressure from the media and from supporters to do more. Uh, in this country, we have seen no pressure yet on U.S. soccer on this issue, uh, which is sh- stunning. No pressure on Major League Soccer to maybe do something to help out uh, uh, USL, help out uh, uh, NPSL and uh, and, uh, NISA, and also, quite frankly, NWSL. Because I I think there's growing concern that NWSL might be in a position, um, because of their TV deal with uh, CBS and taking money from CBS, that they can't get a season in. They're going to have to return that money, and, and of course, CBS is, is, uh, had given NWSL a couple of dates right on on the over-the-air channel, which now will disappear if NFL and golf are delayed. I mean, we're already trying to figure out how they're going to get the Masters, um, Masters in with the NFL and the PGA Championship in with the NFL because those are two CBS uh, major tournaments, golf tournaments that are have now been postponed and will be pushed into presumably NFL season. Now, again, we don't know when the NFL is going to kick off, but. So um, there were a lot of concerns around the financial health of the game in this country outside of Major League Soccer. U.S. Soccer needs to step up and help those clubs. Um, I, I think Major League Soccer, I think the U.S. Soccer directly as well as lobbying on behalf of their clubs and leagues uh, – definitely uh should be leading the charge uh we should be a federation for all and uh we need to come together during this crisis uh so i I agree there's there's a lot more that could be done and i think should be done um uh, in in that regard uh next uh rapid fire topic with COVID 19 um should U.S. Soccer, the Federation, be working through some scenarios, um, at the very least, I think it should be permanent, but at the very least, for the near term, uh, some some regulations uh, from the Federation in, in, in terms of minimizing uh, the economic impact on families. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, the amount of... Uh, you know, travel that is expected of these travel teams, uh, or maybe it's tournaments, etc. Just you know, I'm looking at the realities of unemployment and other other aspects, um, and, and obviously the travel bans that are in place right now. Uh, and, and in the near future, should U.S. Soccer be trying to work uh, on some set of guidelines, restrictions, regulations, whatever words you want to use? Uh, similar to what Little League Baseball did in in limiting the pitch count for their pitchers to protect their arms and shoulders, should the Federation be working to minimize some of the impacts of travel and the economic impacts of travel on their youth players, at at least in the interim? Yes, absolutely. And this is another place where U.S. soccer can spend some of its surplus, can also, um, I think, mitigate some of the the difficulties for youth clubs that they're going to face. I think the distances they have to travel, uh, they're just not practical now when we're talking about an environment where even once we reopen, we're going to have a certain degree of social distancing. I think uh, life is going to be very much more localized. Uh, That's going to be an impact uh, of of this, at least for six to nine to 12 months. Uh, The scale of life will be more local for most people. Uh, And this is also actually a concern for MLS. I would also say, just real quickly on this issue, 
there has been an increasing amount of pressure for U.S. soccer to leave the youth soccer space uh, with, the, with the Development Academy and just allow, uh, just be a facilitator for U.S. club soccer, ECNL, U.S. youth soccer, whoever it is, right? Um, maybe this will hasten the process. So I, I think uh, anything that also gets U.S. soccer out of the youth soccer uh, business and gets them back to being the governing body and and kind of facilitator for all of the different uh, facets and, and, and angles of youth soccer is helpful. All right. Uh, last topic um, for our COVID-19 rapid fire uh, segment here as we wrap up today is uh, the effects of COVID-19 on the uh, the soccer uh, economy uh, in terms of TV and commercial dollars in the near term. What are your thoughts on uh, the economic impact on these uh, TV and commercial rights deals? Obviously, when we're talking about TV, we're, we're specifically looking at professional clubs. But when you look at commercial revenue, uh, that means sponsors, that means youth clubs, that means adult amateur clubs and professional clubs when we're talking about commercial revenue. Uh, what, are, what, what are you seeing uh, or, or projecting uh, in a short-term basis uh, economic impacts of COVID-19 on TV money and commercial revenue uh, for uh, American soccer. Yeah, so we haven't had any problems yet like uh, they've had in France where the domestic broadcasters have asked for a refund from Liga. Uh, that's uh, what Germany apparently is trying to avoid by maybe um, uh, forcing a, a quicker restart. Uh, although it should be noted Germany as a nation, um, I don't want to get into politics here, but uh, their, their government under Angela Merkel, they took much stronger steps than the U.S., Italy, Spain, the U.K., uh, some of these other countries. So maybe they, they will reopen as a country earlier than the other countries we're talking about. Um, but there was an issue with domestic broadcasters there. There's potentially one in England as well. So that's why they're trying to force a restart. We haven't heard it here yet. However, I'm concerned about the CBS thing with NWSL, as I, I mentioned uh, just a few moments ago. And I, and I think if MLS does not deliver some sort of uh, number to um, ESPN and Fox, those that might uh, be, be an issue. And I don't know if they try and make it up um, through uh, increased U.S. national team games, because that's part of that sum deal, or this actually, it's a great question to end our show on this morning, because I think this, Daniel, could be the issue that forces them to realign the calendar and get the whole season in, because they don't want to return that, that television money and we know uh, yesterday ESPN laid off a bunch of people or furloughed a bunch of people and made them take uh, others take pay cuts, right? So we know um, they're not doing particularly well. And, and uh, they, they can only run so many reruns of games and documentaries. I know they got the Chicago Bulls documentary coming out um, later this month, but they can only do that for so long. So if MLS doesn't deliver to them, the, the, the number of games they were supposed to have, remember they were supposed to have a number of games on ABC this year. Um, which has not been the case in the most recent seasons, they uh, they might want some money back or want some sort of offset. So keep an eye on that. This is, this is a great way to end the show because I think that's 
that might be the thing that forces the calendar realignment more than anything is, is TV money. I hope so. I, I I hope we get to that that fall the spring calendar alignment. Uh, you know, I don't want to see businesses uh, fail uh, around the country due to this. I know a lot of people are struggling and trying to figure out how to get through. Uh, but um, you know, I, I I hope that we find you know creative solutions. Anytime you have a crisis or you have a situation that uh, is disadvantageous uh, like this, uh, it it's important to take a deep breath and just start working through opportunities and solutions rather than getting caught up in, in the, in the negatives. Cause those can get overwhelming. And in this case, as we've talked through today, I, I just think it's so obvious that this is the year to, to pull the trigger on the fall to spring calendar. If ever there was a year to do it, this is the year to do it. And, uh, and I hope that uh, some in the room at us soccer, as well as major league soccer in the USL have a real serious uh, rethink about where they are and uh, and figure this thing out because um, you know as we detail today I just don't think there's a lot of excuses left so Cardick thanks uh, thanks for hopping on today uh, and and joining us uh, I appreciate uh, your thoughts and your time and uh, you know keep up the great work um, how can people connect with you on social media yeah KKFLA seven three seven on Twitter is the easiest place and best place to find me. Well, Cardiff, thanks for joining the show. We appreciate it as always. Look forward to having you back on again soon. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Stay safe. Uh, stay safe to everyone out there. Absolutely. I agree with Cardiff. Thanks uh, for to him for coming on the show today. We'll be right back after this. No one. No man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate it as always. Big thank you to Cardiff Christianer for joining the show and spending uh, most of the hour with us today. talking through the fall to spring calendar um, the open cup and some COVID-19 rapid fire at the end Uh, you can watch the show as always uh, weekdays live at 9am eastern if you want to find places to watch just go to danielworkman.com forward slash watch danielworkman.com forward slash watch and you can find some of the different ways that you can watch the show live each and every weekday morning we'll see you again tomorrow tomorrow.